We'll turn our attention to the scriptures now. We'll hear bad news and good news today. The bad news is that we're sick. Our world is sick. One, one way that we know we're sick is, is just keeping an eye on the increasing spirit of polarization in the world. And so uh, several months ago, as we were planning out this series on Proverbs, we thought, you know, it would be really good to spend a couple of weeks asking how the wisdom God gives us and reveals to us in the book of Proverbs, how does that wisdom equip us to live in this age of polarization? Um, we didn't know a few months ago that uh, headlines would be providing us with all kinds of evidence that that polarization exists. And uh, here we are. That's the bad news. We're sick. We're going to look at, at Proverbs this morning to, to sort of diagnose some of the symptoms of our sickness and then trace that back to what's the underlying disease of the human heart that's causing all of this. And then we'll hear good news. There's a cure. The cure is the grace of God who is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. We're going to hear this morning about the healing that he promises. As, as Sonia comes and reads for us from the book of Proverbs, you're, tune your ear, listen for a promise of healing to those who are sick. Listen to the mention of favor with God and man. The word translated favor is the word for grace. The promise that this grace comes from a God who is so full steadfast love and faithfulness that he can fill us with those things as well. Let's hear God's word. Good morning. Our sermon scripture today is from Proverbs 3, verses 3 to 8. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake, your, forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, God. to God. You know, I forgot to mention this before. It's a little too late. I can't find the clicker that normally I use to advance the slides for our sermons. So, sorry about that, Luke. <laughs> um, we'll start with a question this morning. How do we know we're sick? How do we know that? Like it's, you know, kind of um, Monday morning, your child's in the bed saying they are too sick to go to school today, but you're not sure. You, you, you kind of need some evidence. Is there a sickness here? Well, we start looking for symptoms. What are some of the symptoms that show that we as a human race are sick. 
Uh, symptoms that show that we prefer easy answers that don't fit the complexity of the real world. And we find plenty of signs of that in the book of Proverbs. So, thank you, Luke. Um, here's Proverbs 18, verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Right? So these are wise parents instructing children and saying, look, here's one of the tendencies we see in the human heart. It is easier to respond right now than to listen first. It is easier to answer than it is to hear. That's one of the signs that we're sick. That tendency to want to answer before the other person has even finished speaking. I'm not even going to ask if you've ever done that. I know you have. You've probably already done it today, right? Um, all of us do this. Here's Proverbs 18, verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other one comes and examines him. Right? It is easier to accept the hot take than to probe deeper. The person who shouts the loudest, who gets the first turn, whether they got it justly or unjustly, if you look in the context, there's a warning about uh, bribery. So how did this guy get to be first? <laughs> Maybe not because he's right or wise or deserves to be heard. And yet we have this tendency to be content with the easy answer instead of the answer that fits the complexity of the real world. And so uh, this proverb warns us and says, hey, uh, don't, don't give in to that temptation to just accept the hot take. Because if you probe more deeply, the word for examine there means probe, go, go deep, get behind the surface, because there's reason to believe the person who went first is just blowing smoke. And if you press in deeper, you'll find out that even though they said it loud first, with lots of fanfare, it's empty. Proverbs is warning us, right? We're, these are the symptoms of a deep sickness. Here's the third verse from Proverbs that points in the same direction. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Now, this is interesting, isn't it? This is saying, even if you are an eyewitness and you know truth, you know some facts, you saw it yourself, you may not need to talk about it yet. Right now, the other verses we were talking about are, are kind of a, uh, are, they're, they're different. Hey, here, you, you may not even be hearing truth. The person who goes first may be just filling you with lies. But, but this verse is talking about a very different circumstance. This one's saying, no, you know this is true. You saw it yourself. Um, it's easy to assume that we know all the relevant facts. Even when you know some facts, you don't know all the facts. And this proverb is reminding us, right? Do you see these three proverbs together are kind of building up this case that says... Hey, human beings have a tendency 
to grasp at the easy answer instead of wrestling with the complexity of the real world. And that causes us sometimes to think that because we know some facts, we know all the facts. It causes us sometimes to think that the person who goes first is right. It causes us sometimes to want to respond before we've even listened well. Um, but these are ancient proverbs, right? They, they were written thousands of years ago. This doesn't happen anymore, does it? Hello? It's almost like the book of Proverbs was written for the era of social media, right? Of going when the, the culture we are creating now says you got to be ready to take an instant position on every issue. You got to respond almost before the news even breaks. You got to have something to say about it. That's kind of the culture of our social media age. Not surprising that that goes hand in hand with a spirit of polarization, kind of this us-them mentality. There's a recent study by the Pew Research Center has come out saying that, um, uh, yeah, I I'm not a numbers guy, right? You know, that's not my thing. Give me some Greek. I'll translate it. <laughs> Latin, I'm cool. Numbers, I don't speak that language. Um, and yet, it sticks in my mind that uh, I think it's somewhere around 25% of all Democrats in the U.S. and north of 30% of all Republicans in the U.S. say they believe the other party is a threat to the well-being of our nation. Now, look, if I think you are a threat and you are for it, I'm going to be against it. Right? If I've already assumed that you're a threat to my existence, I'm probably going to start answering before you're done speaking. I'm probably not going to listen patiently, carefully. This age of polarization tends to pressure us toward this preference for the easy answer, even though we live in a complex world. Um, I want to recommend to you a resource that, uh, that doesn't take the easy answers. Um, if we think about conflict in Israel and Palestine going on right now, um, one of the books recommended to us by some of our ministry partners in that region is called Through My Enemy's Eyes. The subtitle is Envisioning Reconciliation in Israel-Palestine. It's by uh, two people, Salim Munayer and Lisa Loden. Uh, Salim Munayer is a Christian uh, from Arab or Palestinian uh, ethnic background. And Lisa Loden is an Israeli uh, citizen who is uh, a Messianic Christian. So she's from a Jewish background but has come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, uh, she would point out Messianic Christian is redundant, right? That's just two ways of saying Christian, Christian. <laughs> like a believer in the Messiah who believes in the Messiah. Like anyway. So uh, this book is the fruit of a decades-long friendship between two families. 
And uh, if, if you don't know how to understand the complexities of the conflict in the Middle East, uh, the, the first section of this book is 23 pages, giving you a summary. Now, is 23 pages enough to give you every... No. But it's 23 pages written by people who don't have a political agenda. It's 23 pages hammered out in a context of love and mutual respect where these people... They don't see eye to eye even on all Christian theology. And they have a kind of friendship that lets them say, you keep saying it this way, and that really offends me. And we need to work that through. So 23 pages, very short, but 23 pages written from within that framework of love and desire to understand one another. So I would recommend that as a great resource. Um, a great introduction to the complexities of learning how to love your neighbors in a land where the assumption is that, that uh, it's easier to hate your enemy. They say that for many people who experience the conflict in that land, even listening to the way other people talk about the conflict is hard even listening, they say it this way. For many people within the conflict, simply hearing the narrative of the other side is scandalous. Right? You want to talk about people who know polarization? Um, we have a lot to learn from our Christian brothers and sisters who live in Israel and Palestine. Who's dealing with something that the rest of the world is dealing with? We are, we are sick. It is easy to prefer simple answers in a complex world. So what's the underlying diagnosis behind all these symptoms? I'd rather respond than listen. I'd rather accept the hot take than probe deeper. Um, if I know some of the facts, that's the same as being ready to speak like I know all of the facts. Um, the deeper diagnosis is in Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, the words that Sonia read. Verse 5 warns us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. There's the deeper diagnosis. It's, it's described a different way in verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's a refrain that occurs several times in the book of Proverbs. The most dangerous thing a human being can do, according to the book of Proverbs, is to be wise in his or her own eyes. That's the underlying disease we have. We trust our ability to interpret reality, even if the only foundation for that trust is our own wisdom. Verse don't lean on your own understanding. Paraphrasing that, don't put too much trust in your own ability to interpret reality. What would tempt you to do that? If you are wise in your own eyes, if you have fallen in love with your own opinion, why would you need to listen before you answer? You already got it figured out. Why would you need to, to spend decades building a friendship and, and a loving context with, with someone you don't quite understand? They're wrong and you're right. 
Case closed. If you got some of the facts, why bother to learn more of the facts? you got enough wisdom to know you've learned everything you need to. If we are wise in our own eyes, what happens is we begin to make ourselves into little gods. Let me show you how this works out in some very vivid imagery from the book of Proverbs. Some of you may wish you hadn't heard this, but it's in the Bible. If you've got a weak stomach, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize. Right? Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There's the, there's the disease. Human beings becoming wise in our own eyes. What does that lead to? It leads to becoming like a dog who is like, if I'm eating it, it must be good food. A dog who returns to his vomit. That's what it's like to be a fool. That's what it's like to be someone who's wise in your own eyes. If you're wise in your own eyes, you're going, this is not poop I'm eating. It's good food. All right, just be honest. Your dog does that. If you have a dog, you have witnessed this. You have experienced this. And then the dog wants to come give you a kiss, and you're like, no, no, no. All right? This is the book of Proverbs going, let's observe the natural world. We see some crazy stuff in the natural world. And being wise in your own eyes is being like that dog in that moment and going, if I say it's good, it's good. Right? That, that's why I'm saying being wise in our own eyes is the equivalent of making ourselves little gods. The only being in the universe who has the right knowledge and purity to say, if I say it's good, it's good, is God the creator, redeemer, the father. If he says it's good, it's good. We're not like that. We call a lot of things good when they're actually bad. Dogs eat a lot of things that aren't real food. Being wise in your own eyes, it's, it's like, Dog wisdom. Is it really wise? Um, that's Proverbs 26, verses 11 and 12, illustrating what it's like to be wise in your own eyes and then saying, don't be wise in your own eyes, and then giving us another illustration in the very next verse. The sluggard, the lazy person, says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. I can't get out of bed and go out there and do any work. How am I get eaten by that lion? Being wise in your own eyes is the equivalent of saying, if I say it's real, it's real. If I say that puke is food, it's food. If I say vomit is good, it's good. If I say something's good, it's good. Dog wisdom. Now, we're, now it's lion wisdom. Right? If I say it's real, it's real. If I don't want to go out there, and, I'm, and I, I'll make any excuse. I'll invent an invisible lion if I have to. And if I say the lion is real, it's real. When we're wise in our own eyes, remember that's what verse 12 is warning us against. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? 
There's more hope for a fool than for him. Why? Because when we're wise in our own eyes, we've kind of already decided we are little gods. If I say it's good, it's good. If I say it's real, it's real. That's the disease. Um, One of the quotes that stood out to me as I read my way back through this book this week, uh, through my enemy's eyes, there's a place where uh, these two authors say, now look, because we're discussing a complicated issue related to conflict and the possibility of peace between Israel and Palestine, because, because we keep saying it's complicated and it requires a lot of listening and a lot of patience, don't imagine that we're saying we don't believe there's truth. Don't imagine that we're saying complexity means there's no way to know the truth. They say, look, we, we both affirm that truth exists, absolute truth. But because we're Christians, they would say, we also acknowledge that sin, we also equally acknowledge that sin corrodes knowledge and even the capacity to know. That this human tendency to fall in love with our own opinion, this human tendency to make ourselves little gods and to say, if I say it's good, it's good. If I say it's real, it's real. This human tendency to become wise in our own eyes, it keeps us from knowing the truth that's out there. So how do we get well? Well, would you believe me if I said that in the book of Proverbs we could find uh, teaching that God saves people by grace through faith. Wait a minute. That sounds like what the New Testament says. That sounds like, and when New Testament writers talk about that, they usually quote the prophets. You know, I can remember a place, is the guy's name Paul, where he quoted somebody, some prophet, saying that, but not Proverbs. Yeah, right here in Proverbs, we're told that we get well by trusting the grace of the God who is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Look with me again at Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on his understanding. Lean on him. You you can put the weight of your whole heart on him. Trust in him. Okay, what will happen if I do that? Verse 4 has already said, you will find favor. The Hebrew word is chen. Grace. If you know anyone named Hannah... I'm looking at you, Hannah. If you know anyone, Hannah means grace, right? It's it's the noun related to this Hebrew word. You will find grace and good success in the sight of God and man. If you put your faith in the Lord and not in your own wisdom, 
If you let him be God in your life and, and rather than making yourself to be your own little God, then you will get grace. And that grace will not only characterize your relationship with him, but also with other people. You're changed by grace. It begins to affect the way you interact with everyone. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You will find grace, favor, the ESV says, and good success in the sight of God and of other human beings. What's the ultimate outcome going to be? Verse 8 says, This will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Healing. In the New Testament, the most common word for healing is a verb sozo, which also means to save. So, salvation applies to a whole person. Heart, soul, mind, body, everything. Interestingly, there's, there's, there's a fun play on words here in verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh. The word for flesh there, check me out if you don't believe me. Um, the ESV has a footnote to this effect. The word for flesh here means belly button, navel. It will be healing to your belly button and to your bones. Right? It's, it's going, God wants to heal you, the whole you. He's going to start from the outside and work all the way down to the deepest parts, from your belly button to your bones, from the part of you that existed from the very beginning of you, the part where you were connected to your mother's life in her womb, down to the part of you that will outlast every other part after you have died. God wants to redeem the whole of your life from very beginning to very end. He wants to redeem the whole of you from the outside in to the deepest parts. He's going to do that. How? Because he is a God full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 3 of chapter 3 says, Don't let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Tie them like a necklace around your neck. Treat your heart like it's a tablet and chisel love and faithfulness into your heart. Why? Because you are in the wilderness and you don't know where to go from here. In the book of Exodus, God's people were in that wilderness and they didn't know where to go. And they were accustomed to being around the gods of Egypt that had plenty of statues and, and uh, temples built to them. And, and they were like, we want a God like that to follow. So while Moses is up on the mountain getting these Ten Commandments from God, the people are down at the foot of the mountain going, hey, Aaron, you're the chief priest. Make us a God to worship. Here are our earrings. Here are our bracelets. Here's the stuff we looted from Egypt. Can you make us a God? And, God, and Aaron makes them a golden cow. And they begin to worship. Why? Because they're wise in their own eyes. And they're afraid. We're in the wilderness and we don't know who to follow. And we don't know where we're going. And we don't know how to get there. And God says to Moses, let me show you my glory. Let me show you who I am. 
I will lead you and the people to the land I've promised, but let me show you who I am. And he reveals himself in these words. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The book of Proverbs says, tie that around your neck. Chisel that on your heart. You know the God who when you look at him, this is the main thing he wants you to see. Not disappointment, not anger, not political power, not hatred of people who don't know him, not guilt, not shame. When you look at him, this is what he wants you to see. Steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding. Exodus 34 doesn't convince us. How about John chapter 1, verse 14? It's the same idea expressed in a different language, talking about the coming of Jesus into our world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the same vocabulary in a different language. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, full of grace and truth. If you read the context of those words, the Apostle John is saying, we live in a world full of darkness and we need to see the light. Where do we look when we need to see light? When we're in the wilderness, where do we look when we don't know where to go? Look to the God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When you're in darkness and you don't know where the light's going to come from, where do you look? You look to Jesus Christ, who is that God in human flesh. This is wisdom solid enough to support everything we need. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And I comment quickly on some of the ways that um, this ought to change us. If God in his grace has all the wisdom we need and we don't have to be our own little gods, that means that in a polarized world full of experts versus enemies, we don't have to pretend we know everything. We are instead free to demonstrate steadfast love and faithfulness. Here are three ways to do it. Number one, can we become an army of people invading Atlanta every week who listen before we answer? It'll stand out. It'll be unusual. If we want to show love and faithfulness to our neighbors, simply by listening before we speak, letting them speak before we interrupt. <laughs> Listen before we answer. It's steadfast love and faithfulness translated into practical action. We need to be a people who listen before we answer. Can we be a people who understand before we endorse? Everybody's asking us to take a position. Endorse what I've said about this or that. 
express my view in the way that I express it. Do you approve or not? Don't fall into the trap. Understand before you endorse. Know what you're speaking to. Know what you're speaking about. Know what you're saying. Right? Don't just give a hot take. Don't be the one who states the case first. Take time to probe more deeply. Understand. Now I get it. Sometimes there are moments when deep understanding isn't really required. Right? If someone asks you, is murder right or wrong, you should have a one-word answer, and you shouldn't have to do a whole lot of research to come up with that one. But other times, you need the wisdom to know, this is not that moment. In this moment, I need time to reflect and go deeper. Can we be a people who listen before we answer? Can we be a people who understand before we endorse? And can we be a people who distinguishes having the facts from having all the facts? I can speak based on the facts I know, but I should never speak like someone who has omniscience. I don't know everything. I never will know everything. I shouldn't talk like I do. Can we take, those are just three ways to practically express that we aren't wise in our own eyes, that we aren't our own little gods, that our trust is not in ourselves, that our trust is in the God who has shown himself to us. And he has said that he is full of love and faithfulness. And in a world that's sick, a lot of that love and faithfulness is needed. He offers to give it to us. We can express it to our neighbors. Let's take a minute and pray together. Lord Jesus, we need wisdom from you to know how to live in this world. This world where... um, Truth exists, and sometimes that truth is so complicated that we don't know how to express it. And so we're tempted to oversimplify everything and trust our own wisdom. Help us to trust you instead. We pray in your name. Amen.